So we are in a series now um, called My Best Church Life, and we're thinking about the five G's and how we do that um, as a large church. Um, so this morning we're going to follow that theme and talk about that. And I'm going to talk a little bit about my background in a former life. I did 20 years of Native American ministry, uh, 18 years on the Navajo Reservation and uh, two years on the Rosebud Reservation. And uh, over that time, I picked up uh, many things about culture of the Navajo people. And this morning, I want to talk about that a little bit at the beginning and end of my sermon. So this is a ring uh, that a person gave to me, and uh, it has a little rock in it. What color is this rock? Turquoise? Good guess. Thanks, thanks older sister, for helping out, right? So this was a ring uh, that I wore regularly. Um, and when I got to Wisconsin, I was still wearing it for a while, um, but I don't anymore. Um, because I, as I walked around, you know how many other men with a turquoise ring I saw? This many. Like none. So I'm like, this turquoise ring is not really part of Wisconsin culture, so I probably should not re um, wear it here. So I didn't. Uh, another part of, of uh, Navajo culture, another person gave me a little silver cross, and when I would do worship and I would wear a robe, you know, in some churches the pastors wear robes, um, I would put this over and wear it. Um, so I had these two pieces, and I, I love them and I value them. Along with that, um, another man um, gave me some large turquoise necklaces and beads, and I'll just hold these up. And these are very old turquoise and very valuable. Um, the darker the stone, and you also get like little spider marks in them, that means this is real turquoise and that it's very old. So these are very valuable. And uh, he, a man gave, this, uh, gave me these. Uh, Ronald was his name. Now, I did not wear um, this jewelry because it's kind of too much. So the Navajo people, when there'd be like a birthday celebration, an anniversary, a graduation, uh, then some people would put on all of the turquoise and really dress up in moccasins and other things like that. But if I were to do that as a white guy, people would look at me and go, why are you trying to act like an Indian, Jim? You know, that, that's too much. But I can wear the ring and I can wear the little cross and that sends a message. I value your culture. It is important to me. I want to be part of it. And I'm willing to display this to try and be like you and to relate to you in your culture and what you know and understand and how you see the world. Now, I didn't get up here just to talk about my jewelry this morning, um, but it actually has a purpose. We call ourselves a 922 church. And really, the meaning and the purpose and the whole reason for that, 1 Corinthians 922, yes, we want to reach out to all people, but it's really about culture. And that's what we want to look at this morning for a moment. Look at these words of Paul that he writes to the Corinthian congregation. He says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under law I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under law, so as to win those under law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. To win the weak, I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. 
Do we understand just the difference that existed between a Jewish person and a Gentile person? Uh, a Jewish person would not go to certain places and touch certain things because they would become ceremonially unclean. A Gentile would have no problem going to certain places and touching everything. That, that was good and fine for them. A Jewish person would never eat pork or baby back ribs, ever. A Gentile is going to have no problem eating a pork chop or baby back ribs or pork in some way, right? A Jewish person, monotheistic. They worshipped one God. If you had a religious Gentile, uh, they believed they worshipped many gods. And one last thing, a, a Jewish person could go into the temple to worship in Jerusalem and a Gentile could not. And there was racial hostility that existed between the Jews and other people. It wasn't all flowers all the time. And so when we come to these words of Paul, they are dramatic and they are surprising. And it tells us that message that as we consider our best church the go route, it is for all cultures and all people to become all things to all people. That's what Paul did. Now, as we think about that, as, as I assimilated into Navajo culture, I tell people you have to become like a snake. And that sounds a little bit weird to say that. But if you know anything about snakes, when they hatch, when they come out of the egg, they're really small. But what happens to them over time? They, they grow. And what happens? Each time they grow, they shed their skin and they grow new skin. And that's kind of what it's like to assimilate into another culture. You have to look at yourself and say, what are things that I don't need and what are things that I want to pick up from this culture to be like them and to shed the skin and, and assimilate into that culture? Now, I'll be honest with you. Uh, when I first came to St. Peter in 2015, I was kind of shocked um, because there are a lot of white people here in our church. And yet within any culture, there are subcultures. There are people who have certain interests with food or they like to gather at a certain place or they like hobbies or they like reading. There are subcultures within a culture. And so as a 922 church family, how do I listen and learn and look and see what people are doing and think of ways to share the gospel with them? Uh, we are doing that. Um, can I just tell you that God has blessed us tremendously? And I'll make a confession to you. Um, some years ago, when, we, when I got here, we had an uh, evangelism committee. Uh, my brother-in-law was on it. And the evangelism committee, a couple times a year, would do events. And over the summer, we had ice cream and brats and all that. Anyone remember that? Well, guess what? I killed it. And I let it go. And I didn't really support it. You know why? Because it's not just the responsibility of an evangelism committee to do evangelism. It's all of our responsibility. It's our privilege to do that, to have God use us. And we're doing it. As I mentioned earlier, we are now a church of over 3,000 people. On any given Sunday between our two campuses, we have over 250 guests. In our latest starting point class, we have 80 people that signed up. 80. Poor Pastor Michael, because he has to look at 80 homework sheets every week. Tremendous blessings that God is showering upon us. And so when we think about my best church life, as a large congregation, I think it's easier 
I, th I think it's easier than doing Navajo mission work because we have so many ways to touch the lives of others. We have our ECM, we have the school, we have different styles of worship, we have social media, um, we have a great staff, great location, right? All of those things. We have partnerships with Time of Grace, Lighthouse, Same Families. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And all of these things that we do are an opportunity for us as a large church to touch the lives of others in a sense, forgive me, that I know this sounds weird, to be a snake, to shed our skin and to relate to the lives of others. And that's our first takeaway this morning. And if you want to tell me later, Pastor Jim, that doesn't work, that's weird, I'm fine with that, but I'm going to go with it, okay? So that we think about shedding our skin and growing and becoming like the people around us. That's our first takeaway as we think about our large church or my best church life. But there is the why. Why do we do it? Paul said, I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Um, do we know who Paul was? formerly called Saul. Maybe I'm preaching to the choir here. Maybe there are some newbies to Christianity or people watch this online and they don't know who Paul was. But Paul at one time was named Saul. And he was not a Christian. He was not a believer. Uh, he hated Christians. He imprisoned them. And he was okay if they got killed. That was Paul. And Jesus kind of got his attention, hit him in the head with a two-by-four, and he becomes a believer, a Christian, and not just a Christian, but he comes a missionary and he goes on three or four mission journeys and he starts planting congregations and he writes these words to the Corinthians, right? Also, I will become all things to all people. That, that was Paul. In fact, Paul said about himself, he said, I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Then he goes on to say, I was shown mercy. The grace of the Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Would any of us, would any of us have picked Paul of all people to be a Christian missionary? Probably not. We would run from the guy, but look at the grace and look at our Savior Jesus to take this man and to turn him into his tool. Amazing. And Paul never forgot who he was. Does it surprise us that Paul, of all people, uses the word grace and mercy more in his letters than any other writer in the New Testament? It, it shouldn't surprise us. See, when Paul, when he looked at his life, he saw that his sin was great but that the mercy of God and the forgiveness of God was even greater. He understood that, and it touched his life, and it motivated him. This was also true for the people that Paul wrote these words to, to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 9.22. And it is interesting, when Paul starts out his letter of 1 Corinthians, he starts out, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Again, it's kind of shocking because if you know anything about the Corinthian congregation, it was a mess. When people got together to celebrate Lord's Supper, they got drunk. There were cliques. There were lawsuits between each other. There was sexual immorality. 
And there was so much to write about going on in that congregation that Paul didn't just write one letter, he wrote two long letters to the Corinthians. And yet Paul, with all that going on, starts out by saying to them, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, you are forgiven and you are loved by God and I am doing everything that I can to become like you. It leads us to reflect as Gentiles. How do I look at my sin in my own life? Do I think to myself, I, I don't have any addictions, I don't have any pet sins, I come to church, I give my offerings, I help out, I'm a good parent. I'm doing pretty well, God. Do we, do we make our sin small? Because if I do, I make my Savior small. But if I am like Paul, and I see the greatness of my sin, if I think to myself, I am the worst of sinners, I make my sin great, then my Savior becomes even greater and God's grace becomes even greater for me. And that is the case, brothers and sisters. Paul said, I do all this for the sake of the gospel and for us to know and understand that our destiny is not the fires of hell, but eternal life. And God calls me sanctified just like those Corinthian Christians and I belong to him that is the why behind the go. Can I make a confession to you? At one time, uh, I would make trips up here. We call it our yearly pilgrimage. We, move, we would drive from Farmington, New Mexico to either Appleton or Milwaukee because that's where my family was. And um, when I would talk with my relatives, I would tell them, I'm never coming back here. I'm not going to be a pastor in the Midwest church. And, and the reason I said that is I simply cannot go to a place where it's routine ministry, like you baptize Mary and Barry and go in peace, and then you go to the next week for an hour. I, I can't go and serve in a place like that because the gospel message was important to me. I was a missionary. And I, when I received the call in 2015 to come and serve here, and I talked to people, and I listened to people, I heard that the gospel was important. 922 ministry, all things to all people. And guess what? I lied, and here I am today to serve with you. But we are doing it. It is important to me because of the gospel message. I do all this for the sake of the gospel. And this is our second takeaway, brothers and sisters. This is our second way. The gospel message drives the go. When we think about our best church life and serving here and being part of this church family, it is the gospel message that drives us and what Jesus has done for us. But there's one more thing that we want to be aware of and think of as we think about the go route. We can share, we can use all of these means and things that God has given to us. I, I can tell you as a pastor, there is no greater joy than to work with someone and talk with someone and eventually see the Holy Spirit create faith in their heart. No greater joy. And I want to share a closing story with you that goes along with that. If you could show that picture on the end of, end of there. Uh, this woman came up to me with tears in her eyes. And she had a glass jar of New Mexico green chili sauce because she knew I liked that. 
And with tears in her eyes, uh, she handed that to me and she said, thank you, Pastor Jim, for showing me Christ. And that's all she could say. And she was crying and I was crying and it was a mess. I told my wife, I just can't cry anymore. But it was a journey uh, with this woman. Verna is her name. Uh, I had visited Verna for seven years and I got to know her boys, Zachary and Xavier. And they came to church activities. I'd pick them up with our church van and I'd bring them to Sunday school, youth group, other things like that. And uh, one day after church, well, I'd always go and I'd pick them up. I'd say, Verna, you're welcome to visit us sometime. And she would always say, yep, someday, sometime, but not now, Pastor Jim. You know, it's like, okay. Seven years later, um, I had Zachary and Xavier in Sunday school, and they said to me, Mom's coming to church this morning. And I said, oh, to pick you up. And they said, no, she's coming to church. I'm like, what? And I walked out into the entryway, and there she was, sitting there. And she said, Pastor Jim, I'm coming to church today. And I said, great, Verna. And if I could have done cartwheels, I would have, you know, but I didn't. But that was the beginning of a relationship because she continued to come. And then she brought one of her daughters and then her boys. And then even her husband started coming. And she took big class or starting point class. And then there was the baptism for Verna. And she kept coming and her family kept coming. And then relatives would come with her. And so we grew in our relationship as pastor and member. And I love this woman even to today. She was a very, she was a sweetheart. But she did not come from much of a Christian background. But God used me as a tool to reach out to her. And so the purpose of the story and why I share it with you is that the go route takes patience. I tell people you have to be like dripping water. Just a little bit at a time. Don't drown them with the gospel. Don't pressure them. But just a little bit of water at a time. The gospel message. And so this is our last takeaway for us. The goal will take patience. It will take patience for us. And so brothers and sisters, this ends our series, My Best Church Life. And for us as pastors, I pray that it has been blessing you to reflect on what it means to be part of a large church and how we do ministry and how we use our roots. May God bless you and be with you in the days ahead.